Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. 46 through 50. Um, I, need to, I need to say that last week, Michelle Dodson preached how many verses, Michelle? 45? So I, I feel like I need to defend myself right now because I'm only preaching five verses. But next week, I'm going to preach a whole lot more, okay? So um, uh, we, we are trying to get the big picture of Matthew. So, so most Sundays, we're going to take large sections uh, of this book and then on occasion, we're going to zoom in, and that's what we are doing today. What happened here? How's this work, Tyler? Okay. Um, can it go up a little bit higher, please? Thank you. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 12, verses 46 through 50. That's great. Thank you. Um, and one of the things we're going to start doing now is that whoever's reading the scripture, at the end of that scripture, do you remember how we're going to do this? We'll say, uh, um, this is the word of God, and then you all say... But only if you're actually thankful. You remember that? So how you just did it now, don't do that. Okay? Because that... Okay, so when I'm done, when I'm done uh, uh, reading it, I will say, this is the word of God. And then if you're actually thankful for the word of God, you will say, thanks be to God. Okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God. Good job. All right. Um, Last week, uh, Michelle kind of contrasted gospel and religion. Were you here for that? Not, not a, just a rhetorical question. Uh, okay, so, so, so what Michelle uh, did last week is, is in this pretty long passage that's filled with opposition to Jesus, contrasted the, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus had be, has been proclaiming and demonstrating with the religion of the Pharisees. And so some of the things uh, that, that she pointed out last week is that the religion of the Pharisees is marked by things like fruitless striving, by bondage, by despair. In contrast to the gospel of the kingdom, which is marked by rest, freedom, and peace. Is this ringing a bell? Good. Um, I was thinking about this leading up to our passage and thinking that... Um, that the cross of Jesus is so important to us as a church, not only because on the cross Jesus defeated the, the sin and evil in the world, not only because on the cross Jesus defeated the sin and the evil in us, but because on the cross Jesus defeats the religious systems that we ourselves have put in place. So, so, so we're not stupid. Humanity is, well, we can be, but, but we realize that we need to be saved, right? Humanity is aware that we have a problem. We have a problem with evil, and it's not just out there. It's in here. We're not stupid. We see these things. And, and our reaction most of the time is to f- construct some sort of a religious system that will rescue us. 
some sort of a, a system of rules, duties, traditions that will somehow save us, rescue us. And, and, and as we've said before, the irony of, of this is that that's, those same religious systems end up just adding to our enslavement. So we find that now we are entrapped not just by sin and evil, but by those same systems that we constructed to save us. The beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus is that at the cross we are rescued not only from the sin and the evil out there, not only from the sin and the evil in here, but from the religious systems that you and I constructed on our own, meaning to save us, which ended up entrapping us. So I was thinking, how does this work? What's the image of this? And I thought about one of those really big um, ocean freighter tanker things, you know, like the biggest ship on the ocean. Can you picture that in your head? Yes? Okay. Wow, you all, come on. You need to start popping the Halloween candy now. Like, you're the sugar rush now. Okay. The biggest, the biggest ocean liner freighter that you can picture, okay? And, and it's, been, it's, been, it's been hit by a storm, and it's going down. It's slowly sinking. And, and, and you, you are down in the bottom of the ship, in the hole of the ship, with a cup, like, about this size, and you are bailing water. And you're bailing, and you're bailing. It's just you. Bailing, bailing, bailing. It's not going to work, right? But it feels good. You're doing something. You're active. I can see progress. But the ship's still going down, right? What does this ship need? The ship needs a complete rescue, right? And so let's just say, let's just say that, that somebody comes along and rescues this ship, stops the storm, pulls the ship up, patches it, and it's perfectly restored, ocean-worthy, ready to go. But you are still doing this. This is what we do when we say yes to the gospel of Jesus. Oh, it's beautiful. It's rescued. It's rescued me. And then over time, we find ourselves, I should be doing something though, right? I mean, that was good then, but I need to be helping out now. So let me find some water. Let me find something I can. Not only is the ship not going down anymore, it's been rescued. There's nothing that you can do at this point to rescue the ship. Why? Because it's been rescued. Are you tracking with me? This is what Michelle, I think, is getting at when she contrasts the the burdensome religion with the freedom of the gospel. It's not just a moment in time where we've been saved. It's no, no, no. We've been liberated, set free for all time. There's no more going down into the the hole of the ship to bail water because there's a new captain on the ship. The ship has been restored. The storm has been stopped. You see? You see? This has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but some of us, some of us just need to hear this every single week. Because it's our tendency to go right back down into the bowels of that ship. Give me something to do. Give me something to do. Surely there's something that I can contribute here. No, no, no. The ship has been rescued, restored. Sailing under a new captain. Amen? Amen? Okay, okay. Again, nothing to do with our sermon today, but 
I want, I want to set that up because this, this story comes right out of the tail end of, uh, of this opposition that Jesus uh, faced from the Pharisees, this contrast between gospel and religion. So far, we've seen that Jesus is welcomed by a few people. He's got his ragtag group of disciples following him, some women, some men, people who've been rescued, been healed, been called to follow him. But what we're finding is that most people are actually opposed to Jesus. Have you noticed this in Matthew so far? Uh, That if you were to just set them side by side, the number of people opposed to Jesus is growing. And those who were initially attracted to Jesus, that number seems to be dwindling a little bit. So the villagers back in chapter 8, they saw Jesus perform these amazing miracles, and they said, we'd like you to leave now. Uh, The Pharisees in chapter 9, they claim that Jesus' power comes from Satan. His cousin John, a a little bit ago in chapter, chapter 11, doubts that Jesus is actually the Messiah. His cousin. The cities that Jesus has spent most of his time in reject him in chapter 11. And then in, in, in this chapter, in chapter 12, the Pharisees begin the plot to kill Jesus that's going to lead to his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And we, we spend, as a church, we spend a lot of time talking about this beautiful gospel, this ship that's been rescued, that's set free from religion. But the reality is we need to pay attention to the fact that many, many people that Jesus interacts with are actually opposed to him. They're not hearing this gospel message and saying, this is great. They're saying, I'm actually going to fight against this. And in our story today, in our passage today, we find maybe the most uh, personal confrontation that Jesus has experienced yet, that of his own family. So, so it's not just, it's not just the, the, the high and mighty religious elite, it's those closest to him. Those who've known him since he was a child. Mark, I think we have this passage. Mark uh, gives a little bit more detail to the story, a little bit of the background. Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. This is the exact same story that we're looking at in Matthew. Uh, from, from here on, Mark and Matthews, their account is almost word for word the exact same. Mark just gives us this little bit of a backstory. When Mary, when his brothers, when they show up to this house, their motive, we, we, need, to, we need to take care of him because he's lost it. He's gone out of his mind. You see that? The opposition that Jesus is experiencing is not just from people who've heard his message who he doesn't really, these are the people who are closest to him. And so while we revel in the amazing freedom of the gospel that Michelle preached about, Matthew is going to show us today that there will be some very real and very personal opposition to the gospel. And so uh, I'm going to break it down in, in, into three kind of points this, this, this Sunday. And I'm going to give you the bad news first, okay? I'm going to give you the bad news first that there is a cost when we accept Jesus' offer to transform our lives. There's a cost. Uh, I'm going to give you some more bad news. There are ongoing consequences to life within the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to give you some good news. 
that you and I have been called to a brand new family. It's not just that our ship has been rescued. It's that we've been called to a family where Jesus himself is our brother and the God of the universe is our father. Okay? Bad news first. Stick with me till the good news. Okay? We're going to end with the good news. Cost. Following Jesus means leaving our familiar lives for new life in the kingdom. Cost. Following Jesus means leaving our familiar lives for new life in the kingdom. Jesus has already warned that there's going to be a personal cost to following him. We've seen this already in chapter 8. Another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Chapter 10, Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's a cost. Jesus' disciples have experienced this firsthand. We saw back in chapter 3. Going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Now, now this is a family business. This is, this is Zebedee and his two boys. Zebedee has run this fishing business for who knows how long. These are his two sons who he's raised up to kind of take over the business from him. And they're out doing their thing. They're running their business. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus' disciples, they've experienced this cost to follow Jesus meant I had to leave the family business. I had to say goodbye to my father. It's a cost. Jesus, too, has left his family. We're going to see uh, in a few chapters that, that Jesus, at this point, his father is probably dead. Joseph is probably dead. Um, but he has his mother, Mary. He has four brothers, and he has some sisters. Okay? He's had to leave them. He's not spending time with them. They're back in Capernaum, most likely. So Jesus has experienced this cost of the kingdom as well. So again, despite the initial appeal, the beauty, the power, the majesty of the gospel, there is a cost. There's a realization that I am leaving that which was familiar behind. Do you remember that? Do you remember that cost, what it felt like? If Christianity was just a a set of moral principles, okay? If Christianity was basically a set of moral principles, then this cost wouldn't be the case. But the Pharisees, they don't want to kill Jesus because of some moral principles. And, 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 and 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 if Jesus was proclaiming something that was simply a set of private beliefs, well, this cost wouldn't be an issue either, would it? There's no costs for holding some private beliefs, but, but Jesus' family, they don't think he's nuts because of a few private beliefs that he keeps to himself. Christianity is neither a set of good moral teachings nor a set of private spiritual beliefs. Are you tracking with me? There's no cost. There's no cost to private belief. There's no cost to some good moral teachings. Here's the thing. Accepting God's transforming righteousness is neither about our own morality or about private spiritual beliefs. Accepting God's transforming righteousness is an entirely new existence within God's coming kingdom. 
We've said this before, that, that, that saying yes to the way of Jesus isn't just changing a couple things about how we think, isn't just trying to keep a few rules. It's about stepping into something brand new. So what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, he says that, 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 that the way of Jesus, that life within the kingdom of heaven, is like following the narrow way. He says it this way, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And few find it. Again, again, this is so important. If Christianity was just about, oh, I believe some new things, or oh, I have some new rules I need to try to keep, there would be no cost. But we are stepping onto an entirely new road. Jesus says, you were on the wide open, easy road. Lots of people go along that road, and it leads where? Destruction. But now you've stepped onto the narrow road. You've entered through the narrow gate. It's an entirely new existence. And there will be a cost to this. What did it cost you when you said yes to Jesus? Do you remember? Not all of us in in the room this morning are people who have said yes to Jesus. Some of us here are people who are kind of on a spiritual journey that maybe is leading us towards Jesus. So maybe this is especially uh, applicable to you because you of all people, you understand that there's a cost. As you consider, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to give my life to Jesus? You're aware that there is cost, that there will be things that will have to be given up, that there will be people who don't understand your change in lifestyle. Others of us, though, we have a harder time remembering this. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. How many five years or longer? Ten years or longer? Fifteen years or longer? Twenty years or longer? Thirty years or longer? We have some winners. The longer, the longer that we follow Jesus, the longer that we consider ourselves Christians, the harder it is to remember, it cost me something. When I made the decision, when I made the decision to leave my old way of living and to live my life under the rule and the reign of Jesus, there was a cost. I had to sacrifice. I had to let go. I had to accept some massive changes in my life. Some of you had friends and family members who could not accept your new loving allegiance to Jesus. Some of you lost friendships when you said yes to Jesus. Some of you had to change how you went about your work, and as a result, you lost your job. There's a cost. Some of you had to face the bitterness and the resentment that you had grown accustomed to You realize that you couldn't carry that along the narrow way. and It was painful to let that go. Do you remember the cost, church? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I've quoted this before, he says, says, "That, that which cost God everything can never be cheap to us. That which cost God his son can never be cheap to us. Do you remember the cost, church? Second, second point, consequences. 
consequences. Living under God's rule places us at odds with life outside of the kingdom. Living under God's rule places us at odds with life outside of the kingdom. So there is this initial cost. I'm stepping into a new way of life. I'm submitting myself to a new Lord. What was up is now down. Life has totally been reoriented. In, in the Apostle Paul's words, I was, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Right? Cost, initial. This is how it starts. But then, if we're honest, there are these ongoing consequences of life under the rule and the reign of God. What do I mean? Just as it's normal for us to expect life in God's kingdom to cost, it's also normal that we should expect there to be these ongoing consequences. Why? As we saw in the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again, life within the kingdom is very often opposed to the way that life works outside of the kingdom. Life within the kingdom of God is very often directly opposed to the way that life works within the kingdom. For example, for example, outside of the kingdom, eh, you're not supposed to sleep around. You know, it's kind of eh, something in that neighborhood we're cool with. Within the kingdom, we expect the very root of our sexual desires to be healed and transformed. See how these things are at odds? Outside of the kingdom, revenge is glorified. Would you agree? I mean, just think of whatever the last movie you saw was. I guarantee there is some revenge in there. I can just guarantee it. Revenge is glorified outside of the kingdom. Within the kingdom, we learn to offer the same radical forgiveness that we receive from God. See the opposition. Outside of the kingdom, we are generous because it makes us feel good. Or it changes how people look at us. This is why we all know what, what causes celebrities give to, right? It's good PR. Within the kingdom, within the kingdom, we give, we give quietly. We're generous silently, secretly. Why? Because we care only what our Father in heaven thinks of us. And our identity is rooted in him. Amen? You see the opposition. So it's normal for us to expect that if we're living under the rule and the reign of God, it's not just that there will be an initial cost. There will be ongoing consequences because we live here and the world lives here and they, and they just often don't match. So a quick case study of this that we see in our passage this morning. Let's talk about family for a minute. Given what Jesus says in this passage, it almost sounds like he is rejecting his family. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Add this to some of the things that Jesus has already said, things like anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's harsh language, right? It almost can sound like Jesus is rejecting his family, like the consequences that he is experiencing are self-inflicted consequences, Let me say that again. I need you to understand this. It can almost sound like the consequences that Jesus is experiencing are self-inflicted consequences. And isn't this often how Christians live? We talk about persecution. I've been persecuted. No, 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 no. You're self-righteous, and that gets under people's skin. That's not persecution, right? Right? We look for opportunities sometimes to experience opposition, wear it with a badge of pride and honor. 
That's, that's not what's happening in our, pe- our passage. This is not self-inflicted consequences. I need you to see this difference. This is, this is not self-inflicted. This is not Jesus saying to his parents, family, I just don't like you. I can't have anything to do with you now. No, no, no. Watch this. This is a natural, a natural response to life within the kingdom. Keep, keep following. Um, in, in, in chapter 15, I think we have this, Tyler. Chapter 15 of Matthew. This, I, I need you to see this, to see that these, these consequences that Jesus, even Jesus is experiencing, are not self-inflicted. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So they're like all about this, these specific traditions, not even laws, but specific traditions that they're supposed to be keeping. Jesus replied, okay, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? Now watch how he does this here. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. That's the command. Honor your parents, honor your family, honor your father and mother. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received to me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. In other words, the Pharisees have been saying, look, instead of, instead of honoring your parents, instead of caring for your parents, instead of being generous with your parents, as if, if, you, if, you, if you do religious stuff with that money, then it's cool. Then you're off the hook. You don't have to honor your parents, your family. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Maybe hard for us to see. This is very, very strong language. This is Jesus very clearly affirming the command to care for your family, to care for your parents, to honor your mother and your father. You see that? So, so understand that the, 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 the conflict, the consequences that Jesus is experiencing with his family are not self-inflicted. Jesus himself stands up and says, no, you care for your family. You honor your family. You watch out for your family. So clearly Jesus is not going against that here. What are we seeing? We're seeing the reality of Jesus and his disciples living within the kingdom of God and his family at this point not. Mary, the brothers, the sisters, they're operating outside of the kingdom of heaven at this point. That's like sacrilegious for me to say. <laughs> Jesus and his disciples, they are, living, they are living their lives within the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' disciples, they're learning what does this new life under the rule and the reign of God look like? So, so they have this whole new idea characterized in the Sermon on the Mount by this is what's normal. This is how we live. This is what life is like now. It's not the same reality for Jesus' family yet. So there's this natural conflict. Are you with me? I need, yeah? Okay, okay. Not lost? Okay, all right. So, so as a case study, as a case study, we see how these consequences work. They're not self-inflicted. Any of you who are choosing to be persecuted or going out of your way to be persecuted, stop it. That's just weird. That's not normal behavior. The consequences, the opposition that you and I face is not because we choose it. No. It's a natural result of us living under submission to the rule and the reign of Jesus. And until Jesus comes back one day, there will always be opposition to life in the kingdom and life outside of the kingdom. Amen. Okay, let's keep going. The consequences that we face as Christians, then we don't seek these. They're simply a result of our love and commitment to Jesus above all else.
What consequences do you experience under God's rule? What consequences are you experiencing today? What consequences are you experiencing today? Did you experience last week, last month? Because you are living under the rule and the reign of God. Can I ask you that? Not self-inflicted, not chosen. Where are the ways that because of where you live within God's kingdom, submitted to the rule and the reign of Jesus, are you naturally experiencing opposition and conflict? Where is it happening for you right now? Some of you have, have families who have a very hard time understanding why you've chosen the job that you've chosen. They, they have a really hard time understanding that because of your devotion to Jesus, you've taken a job that doesn't pay as much as you could be making. Some of you have family members who get a little nervous when they visit you, where you've chosen to live, the neighborhood that you lived in. They don't understand how your devotion to Jesus impacts your decision of where you're going to live. Some of you have friends who think you've absolutely lost your mind because you belong to a multi-ethnic church. Some of you have classmates who make fun of you because you're not going to cheat, you're not going to give away your answers, you're actually going to do the work. Some of you have had men refuse to even date you because they know that you treat sex as sacred. Some of you have been passed over for promotion because your boss knows that money is not your only bottom line. These are not self-inflicted, self-chosen ways of experiencing opposition or consequences. These are a natural result of living under the rule, the reign, the authority of the resurrected Jesus. So where are you experiencing this kind of conflict? Where are you experiencing these kinds of consequences of life in the kingdom? Let me give you two reasons why you might not be able to think of anything right now. One, because God's just being really good to you right now. No, really, really. Maybe you're just experiencing a beautiful season of grace in your life right now. Where even though you have submitted to Christ, you are living in the, under the rule and the reign of Jesus, you've given uh, all of your devotion to Jesus, you're not experiencing the consequences of that. Praise God. Amen? Because we don't want that. <laughs> That's not fun. Maybe, maybe you're just in a season where God has said, just experience my favor, my grace, my sufficiency. That'd be beautiful. Others of us, we're not experiencing that conflict, those consequences either, but it's for radically different reasons. Can I say that some of us have stepped off of the narrow way? We've stepped off of the narrow way and found ourselves on the broad path. Jesus says a lot of people end up there. It's easy. It's kind of our natural instinct. It's where we go. Are you experiencing the consequences of the gospel? If not, why not? If not, why not? Okay, the good news. You ready for the good news? You're like, fine, finally. Last one, Tyler. 
called. In God's kingdom, enemies become family. Jesus is our brother and God himself is our father. What sustains us in the face of the cost of the gospel? What sustains us in the face of the ongoing consequences under the the rule of Jesus? I think it's the reality that we have been called by God. The women and the men at Jesus' side, when Jesus uh, uh, looks at his followers in that home on that day, these are women and men who've been rescued. They've been healed. They've been liberated. They've been called. There's, uh, uh, there's some scholarship that, um, that says that at, at the time of, of Jesus, um, there was a, a rabbinical tradition developing, a tradition of these traveling Jewish teachers. And it was a very rigorous system to be a part of. Um, you, you had to go through kind of primary education, secondary education. Uh, you had to have all of the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures memorized. Um, and, and even then, the only way that you could become a disciple, a, a student, a follower of a rabbi, was to be chosen by that rabbi. Uh, it wasn't something you got to walk up to the rabbi and say, hey, you know, you didn't send out your, your applications like some of you did to go to college. No, you had to be chosen. Your reputation had to precede you as being a, an excellent, excellent student. Um, where are James and John, the pastors we read earlier, where are James and John when Jesus calls them? Where are they? Fishing. Think about this for a second. James and John, if they had been hoping to be disciple material, if they had been working to be disciples, hoping to be called by a rabbi, what would they have been doing? Yep, that's how it worked in that day. If you had any shot whatsoever of advancing in your education, of being called by a rabbi, you devoted all of your time to it. Your father especially would make sure that you devoted all of your time to this study. So the fact that James and John are fishing, what does it mean? They've not been chosen. They didn't make the cut. All right, we'll go to the family business. That's okay. That's okay. When Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up and he says, James and John, come on, come on. I mean, that's weird to us. They left everything. But do you understand that this was their dream? Do you understand that this calling validated them in a way that nothing else could? A rabbi wants me to follow him? This is what sustains us in the face of the cost and the consequences is that God himself has come to you and I. He said, come on. No, no, no. No, really, you too. Come on. Follow me. Follow me. I know everybody else has looked over you. I know you don't think you should make the cut. I don't know that they think that you should. You're in. Come on. Follow me. Follow me. Called. You and I have been called. Watch this. Watch this. It's not just that we've been called. It's that that as we accept the call, Jesus becomes not just our rabbi, not just our teacher, but our... (laughs) What? That needs a... Like, son of God, from the very eternity, at creation, holding it all together, reigning and ruling from the right hand of the Father, right now, brother, brother, brother. You see that? You sort of see it. Okay, watch, 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 watch. 
Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, this is my family. This is my family. Outcasts, vagabonds, prostitutes, tax collectors. That's my family. That's my family. My brother, my sister, my mother. Yeah, there's consequences. Yes, there's a cost, but there's also a brand new identity. This is what sustains us. A brand new identity. I'm a new person. My identity now is what? Brother to Jesus. Child of God. That's who I am. That's what sustains me in the cost and the consequences of life under the rule and the reign of Jesus. I'm a new person. I belong in this kingdom. I belong in this family. Child of God. Son or brother, sister to Jesus. Except in God's transforming righteousness, church, it's not just simply changing some beliefs and behaviors. It's a fundamental shift in our, in our identity. Jesus becomes our brother and God becomes our father. How does this happen? When Jesus goes to the cross, he takes, he takes everything onto himself. Think about a family. A God at creation, he creates a family is what he does. Adam and Eve, his first children, living in perfect harmony together. One way to understand the consequences of sin and rebellion is that it it, it fractures a family. We can all relate to that, can't we? If if you can't, you're not normal. (laughs) If If you can't relate to a family being ripped apart, fractured, torn apart, dysfunction existing within a family, this is what happens at creation when sin is introduced. God's perfect family, God is Father, His children, sin comes and rips it apart. At the cross, Jesus takes on to himself everything that has ripped this family apart. Everything that you and I have ever done, everything outside of us, the religious systems that we put together to try to hold it all together. You know what that's like too, don't you? Like the family getting together at Christmas time and you all have your kind of ways of functioning with each other, trying to hold it together. And it works until Uncle Larry's had too much to drink, right? And it's, you know, it all come. You don't have an Uncle Larry? Everybody's got an Uncle Larry. Uncle whoever, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like the, like the religious system, it works for a little while. But, but, but it's going to come out, isn't it? And it's going to be ugly when it does. Jesus takes on to himself all of that. Everything that ripped apart the family of God, Jesus takes on to himself and puts it to death so that the family of God is restored. So that God becomes our father once again as it was always meant to be. This is, this is the gospel that we see in this passage here that Jesus says, Who, who's my family? It's, it's these right here. Why? 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 Because I will go to the cross for them and remove everything that ripped this family apart. And they will be able to call me brother and the very God of the universe, Father. This is what we belong to now, church. This is who you belong to now. You belong to this family. Not just a shift in belief, not trying to do some new moral duty. No, no, no. You have a new identity, child of God, belonging to the new family of God. After the resurrection, um, 28th chapter of, of Matthew, Jesus is talking to some of his followers and he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. I love that language. It's not like a big focus in that passage. It's just, go tell my brothers. Um, When you and I, and some of us do this and some of us don't, when we call each other brother or sister in church, how many of you grew up in churches that did that? Brother, sister, right? How many of you think that's weird? (laughs) 
A couple of you, yep. If you're honest. Uh, yeah, because it can be really, it can just sound weird. But it's tapping into a spiritual reality. Now it can be misused and we can use it in silly kinds of ways, but when, when we call somebody brother, we call somebody sister, we're reflecting a, a spiritual reality. We're family to one another now. We're family to one another now. Why? Because we have a new father. We have a new brother. Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says, For this reason I kneel before thee, remember, father. Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives his name. We have a new father. We are a new family to one another. Now, this is a difficult concept for some of us to get. Some of us, when we think about church, we don't think about family, do we? Or if you do, it's a dysfunctional family. Uh, When we think about church, we think about an institution. Uh, We think about somewhere that we get to choose to go to. Um, Some of us have gone to a lot of different churches in our lives at different times. We've had different needs. We've gone to different churches. We see ourselves as kind of autonomous individuals, and I need to choose to go to this church or that church. There's this competition of churches that exist, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's hard for us to understand, many of us, that we actually belong to one another. It's not that I get to stand over here all by myself and say, well, I'll hang out with you and you and, you know, I guess I'll be a part of this. No, what, what, what Jesus is getting at here is that I, I actually now belong to you. I, I, I lost my say when I said yes to Jesus. I lost my kind of autonomous will to choose when I said yes to Jesus. You see that? I just do now. I belong to you. I don't, I don't get to choose. You belong to me. That's, there, is this, there is this belonging to the family of God. Now that could be manipulated, right? <laughs> Someone could manipulate that in some, some pretty terrible ways. Don't hear me doing that. Just, just hear me saying there's a shift that happens from I get to choose who I am a part of, who I relate to, who I identify with, to no, no, no. I have a new father, so I have a new family now. I can't understand myself any longer outside of this family. What what about that? You can't understand who you are as a child of God outside of the family of God. Yeah? Okay. This is not just this kind of spiritual reality. This, gets, this is very practical and needs to be very, very practical for us as a church. Jesus and his disciples, they did a lot of stuff together, right? They traveled together. They went fishing together. They were persecuted together. They argued together. They ate and drank together. We see all of this in the Gospels. They did life together. They didn't just, Jesus didn't show up and say, you're my family now. See ya. You're my family now. Read the Bible and learn about me, Right? They lived together, talked together, argued together. If there's no conflict, probably not family. Let's make sure it's healthy conflict, right? They lived together. They did life together. They interacted with one another. They were not just the spiritual family. No, they were family to one another. This has to be very, very practical. I've mentioned this before to you um, as the pastor, I, I, I hear lots of different stories, and um, there's a few different themes, but I would say the number one theme in our church is isolation and loneliness. It's one of the number one things that I hear from those who make up our family, our church. I don't know how to connect. 
I don't have a lot of friends yet in this church. I'm not, I don't feel like there's anybody who I could go to in a crisis. That's a problem. Would you agree? That's a problem. Especially in a new church, a church our size, we have the ability to actually be family to one another. I can't do that for you. I can't be like, oh, I, you're feeling a little bit lonely? Oh, this person over here too, so you all should have a con- doesn't Believe me, will not work. And you don't want me to try to do that. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Authentic community, the thing that we talk about every single week, isn't just what happens here on a Sunday morning. It's what happens throughout the week. How do we do this? It means both reaching out to one another and admitting our own weakness and our own needs. A group of people who puts up a facade like everything is good, everything is okay, everything is strong, never going to be family to one another. So I want to start hearing stories of people who get up the guts to say to somebody, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm not sure how our marriage is going to make it. You hear what I'm saying? Admitting weakness, admitting our humanity to one another allows us to actually be family to each other. I love, I love what happens with new parents. In our church, when somebody's going to have a baby, um, we, we, we set up a way of providing meals for them, okay? And uh, we have this, like, computer thing that sends out these invitations and and it's always funny because before the baby comes, I'll talk to the parents-to-be. I'm like, hey, uh, our church would love to provide you some meals. And you know what people's response often is to that? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and it's a radically different response like a week after the birth. Because <laughs> then you go by, you go, you go visit that family and these people haven't even gotten out of their pajamas for a week, right? Like, they haven't eaten, they haven't fed themselves, you know. They don't know if it's midnight or noon. I mean, they are messed up. And you come with a meal? You come with a meal? And it's like, it's like, yeah. It's like the best thing ever. It really is. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's a beautiful metaphor for us as a church, though, isn't it? We all, <laughs> we're all very, very similar to those new parents. Our starting point is, no, we're good. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's only after you haven't slept for 72 hours. Begin to get in touch with what you really need. So we don't need you to wait to be new parents to get to that point. We don't need you to wait until really the crisis has just exploded in your life to get to that point. We need you to start now. No, no, this is what I, I could use this right now. I need this kind of support, this kind of encouragement right now. Right now, right now. You know what's going to happen when you do that? The person you're talking to is going to be like, oh man, I'm so glad you said that because you know what? I, <laughs> I have this going on and I could really use some encouragement. I could use some support as well. There's this lie from the pit of hell that says, I'm the only one. Nobody else. Fill in the blank. It's a lie. It's a lie. Who's a part of this new family? Let me say three very quick things here. Who's a part of this new family? There's going to be people who, who join Jesus' new family, God's new family, who you thought would never, ever, 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 ever show up. 
Amen? This is why all of our community group leaders over the past couple months have been praying for at least one individual who they want to see step into the kingdom of God. This is why all of our community groups are going to be do, begin doing this together, praying for one person in our lives. Jesus, Jesus, I want to see this person step into your liberating rule and reign. Who is this new family? Who's made up of this new family? The person who in your mind right now, you're like, oh, hell no. They would never show up. They would never say yes. They would never submit to Jesus. They are too fill in the blank. That's, who, that's who's going to be made up in this new family. Amen? Will you pray for that, church? Who else is made up in this new family? Oh, this is beautiful. This is gospel. At, after the resurrection or at the cross, you know who's at the foot of the cross? Mary. Mary, Jesus' mother, who shows up and says, my son has lost his mind. Who's at the foot of the cross? His mother. What are Jesus's, some of Jesus' last words before he dies? He looks down to his disciple John and he says, John, from now on, she's your mom. Mother, from now on, he's your son. Who's in the room in Acts after the resurrection? Mary. Oh. The same person who it looked like Jesus was going to have to walk away from shows up to the new family. James, one of the brothers who shows up and says, Jesus, you, we got to get you home, man. James becomes one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. One of the, one of the key people to contextualize the gospel, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. Who's going to be a part of this new family? It's, it's people you love and you care about. People who maybe you're experiencing tension and friction and consequences right now because you've said yes to the way of Jesus. Can you believe that one day they're going to be walking side by side with you on the narrow way? Do you believe that? The gospel's for everybody. Last one, last one. Jesus, do you see what Jesus does here? Uh, verse 49 and 50, pointing to his disciples, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. Now watch what he does in verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and... Huh? No one brought up sisters at this point, had they? Who starts talking about sisters? Jesus. Listen to this quote. This, this has been a common quote in Jesus' day. He who talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself. This is the air that people breathed in Jesus' day. What does Jesus do? My mother, my brother, and my sisters. Those, th those folks you're not even thinking about. Those folks you're not even having a conversation about right now. Jesus actively says, them too. Them too. Them too. Now, it's a little bit different in our day, right? But some of our sisters would say it's not all that different in our day. One of the things I love about our church is that last week, Michelle's preaching. This Sunday, Kelly's leading worship. Romelia's doing our announcement. Bethany is leading our worship. We're a church that says... Sisters, we need you to lead in our church. Amen? Amen. Uh, but I think it's maybe not just women. 
I think has maybe shifted in our day a little bit. Who would Jesus proactively say, yeah, yeah, you didn't mention them, but let me, let me tell you who this is for as well. Let, let, me, let me tell you who is who's invited to this new family as well. Who have you forgotten about? Who have you overlooked? Who's not even on your mind? Jesus says, them too. Them too. Them too. Who's a part of this new family? People who you would least expect to be here. Those people so close and dear to you that you, you, it, was, it was so painful to see that relationship come apart. And those who you and I aren't even thinking about right now, who our society and culture has so overlooked, not even on our minds. That is who is a part of this new family. Amen? Is that good news? That's the gospel. Worship team, go ahead and come back on up here. Um, this, is, this is what I want us to do here. I'm going to ask Zach just to kind of play quietly for a minute. And I've got three questions that we're going to end with. And I'm going to give you just a few minutes, just a couple minutes to sit on these three questions. Um, ushers, can we get some pencils for people who need pencils? Ushers, ushers, ushers. Um, take out your bulletin or something to write on. Um, and I want you to choose one of these three questions. I want us to be pretty specific with ourselves today. We can hear, we can hear Jesus' language and we go, yeah, that's something. Or that's convicting. And then by lunchtime, we've forgotten it, right? Or at least I have. So I would love for you to take one of these three questions this morning and answer it. Some of you are going to be drawn to that first question because you wouldn't yet call. If you need a pencil, just raise your hand. Something to write with. Our ushers have pencils here. Some of you are going to be drawn to this first, this first question because you don't consider yourself a Christian yet. You're not sure if you're ready to follow Jesus yet. You're seeking. You're wondering. You're, you're searching. So, so maybe, maybe if you're in that place, you could answer that first question. Consider, what would it cost? Look, we're not a church that's going to sugarcoat it and say, the gospel of Jesus just makes your life wonderful and everything's going to just be beautiful all the time. As much as we love the gospel, as much as it sustains us, there's a cost because it costs God everything. So maybe if you're not yet a Christian, go to that first question and say, what, what might it cost me to say yes to Jesus? Um, others of us who, who had a hard time answering the question, where are the natural consequences of my life within the kingdom? Maybe you need to go to that second question. Why am I not experiencing these consequences? Have I strayed from the narrow way? Have I strayed from the narrow way? Spend some time on that. And then, then, then the last one. What is one practical thing I can do within our church as a member of God's family? Some of you might need to think of, about joining a community group because you, you, just, you, you don't have Christian community in your life right now. Some of you, after this service, need to walk back to the table in, in, the, in, the, in the foyer and say, I need to sign up for a community group, a small group Bible study. Great. Some of you need to start admitting weakness. You have somebody in your life who you could actually say something to, you could actually admit weakness to, and you need to do it today. I'm struggling here. I'm lonely here. I'm isolated here. I'm tired here. Some of us might need to answer that question by saying, I need to confess some sin. There's something specific in my life that I've been carrying with me that's got to, I got to confess it. I need somebody to come alongside me and support me as I walk away, as I repent from this. Or maybe it's just inviting somebody to lunch after church today. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that. Take a couple of minutes, then I'm going to pray for us and our worship team will lead us.
some of you might want to consider bringing this with you to your community groups this week. Uh, community group leaders, maybe you're going to want to take some time and just talk about this a little bit. If your group is at a point of being dishonest uh, with one another. Let's stand, let me pray, and then we're going to sing together. Holy Spirit, now we ask, as we always do, that you take the words that we've heard, the scriptures that we've read, and, and that you move them from our heads to our heart. Uh, Lord, do not allow us to be content with more information. All along in this series, we've asked that you transform us. So give us the courage as we face these questions to be honest with our answers. And even more so, give us the courage, Lord, to maybe to share some of these answers with somebody. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, go in peace. Remember your identity this week, church. You belong to a new family. You have a new father. Your brother is Jesus. You belong to one another. That's our starting point. That's where we live out of today. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.